Welcome to the Habibis Podcast. Three game developers drinking good herb tea. I'm your host for today, Fauzi Musmar. And I'm Rami Ismail. And I'm Osama Dorius. And uh, today I actually have a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Uh, one is a game I played, and one is a game I watched. <laughs> or, rather, game you watched. <laughs> <laughs> or rather, a movie about a game. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. so I watched... I watched some Mortal Kombat. Oh. Um, yeah, the new one, the 2021 Mortal Kombat. Does it have the song? Uh, Osama, <laughs> does it have the song? Well, it has everything from the game. It has way too much from the game. If you, oh, But I'm getting ahead of myself, Fauzi. You made me, like, cut to the chase. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm chase. talking about the Mortal Kombat techno song. It was a techno song? Yeah. Know, it's, they song. have it, but it's not... It's not techno, but they okay. have it, yes. Uh, or or maybe, maybe in the credits. I don't know. I didn't listen through this credits. It's very, very possible that they brought the techno version in the, in the credits as well. Um, but yeah. Right, but, is it good? That is really hard to answer. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to like twist my arm, I'm going to say no. Perfect. (laughs) I don't think anyone who has... Okay, let's put it this way. If you've never heard of or seen a Mortal Kombat, which I I granted, it's a pretty hard thing to... You know, it's it's a pretty big brand. But assuming someone just doesn't know what a Mortal Kombat is, they've heard about it in passing, but they're not part of the lore, I don't think anyone who's in that situation will look at the movie and say, this is a good movie. (laughs) This movie wasn't made for mass market. This movie was made clearly for Mortal Kombat fans. Like, there's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge every two minutes. Like, huh? Huh? Source material? Huh? <laughs> so, I'm not even kidding. Like, every catchphrase you can think of in Mortal Kombat had a scene. Like, a scene that set it up. Like, wow. everything. Fate fatality get over here finish him name it there's a scene and then someone yells at that couch right then you can tell that the yes there's toasty <laughs> i you know what i don't remember but I'm, i i'd be comfortable enough saying yes just because of everything else that was there i don't particularly remember if toasty was there specifically but i would not be surprised <laughs> It wasn't Ed Boon's voice, that much is for sure. <laughs> right. but, uh, before you but jump into talking more about the movie, since like you yes. know, we're, we're still like starting to, to, to see how good or bad this movie is, <laughs> if you were to like you know place the three Mortal Kombat movies, right? There's like you yes. know the first yes. Mortal Kombat, the second Mortal Kombat, and this one. From, yes. from the worst to the best, what's the order? Okay, that's a, it's it's hard to answer because the, the first one is a little fuzzy. I watched it a million years ago and not much since. Uh, they're all dumb. <laughs> they're all <laughs> bad in their own way. So this is like from bad to not as bad. <laughs> uh, I would still put this one, I think, is my favorite from the three. Okay, the, the okay. okay. Yeah. that's, that's and, my praise. The first two are classics. Yeah. 
Yes, they're classics. <laughs> yeah, classics. They, they absolutely. That's a good word. This one is like an instant classic. I would put it as an instant classic. Cold classic. Yeah, that's that's, that's more right. accurate. Um, so yeah, you know how usually you would start a movie or any kind of like uh, project by writing an outline and then filling it in. I think they started with the catchphrases and they just like spread them out. And they're like, how do we write a story that could get us to say the most catchphrases as possible? Uh, the special effects were surprisingly good. Um, so, like okay. some of the characters, like the the I don't know if I, I should spoil which characters are in the game. Uh, sorry, game in the movie or not. But some of the characters are, are like really well done, especially the CG heavy characters. If you know Mortal Kombat, you know what I'm talking about. Um, they looked surprisingly well done. The the fight choreography was great. It was actually like the fight scenes. Uh, uh, a lot of them were like, okay, this is damn really cool. Uh, any talking scenes, you could just fast forward. Like, I think someone could make a 20-minute version of this movie that's just much, much better than the actual movie. Is any can, anybody do, can anybody do a 20-second version with all the dialogue? <laughs> I can do it for you now, Rami. I can do one for you right now. It's like, we okay, need go, to defeat Chang Soon. Yes, let's defeat Chang Soon. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be that. Nice. Nice. It's, <laughs> it's almost like like really the the the, the setup uh, is so corny, but like it's Mortal Kombat. I mean, if you if we were in charge of making a Mortal Kombat movie and we'd have to write a script for it, I don't know how we could make it not corny. It's a corny setup, right? Like a tournament to save the world with from another realm. It's, it's like how do you do that well? I don't know. I think it was good for what it was, but what it mm-hmm. was is is like more fan service. That's really what it was. It's like, hey, right. you're fans of it. We're gonna take a high, we're gonna make a bi- high budget uh, movie where you get you know squee every time we mention something that you love, and <laughs> and you're gonna love it. And that's it. Like I squeed a couple of times, and then I rolled my eyes a few times, and <laughs> it was fine. I watched it throughout. I watched it from beginning to end, and that's something, you know. <laughs> Did you, yeah. did you is is it a particularly gory movie? Yes. This type it's, of way? Okay. No, no. It's it's a Mortal Kombat movie in every way you could imagine. And okay. it, it, it even has like a lot of profanity and things like that. Like they they use that that R rating to like they, they to really, maximum effect. Yeah, exactly. It's very very gory. There's it's like gory. Mortal Kombat with a rolling R everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yes. There are limbs flying, there are even children dying. Like it's like it's, wow. it's content warning. It's not it's not uh, it's not tame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my it, god! It didn't exactly do for movies what it did for games in the nineties, but like you know, it's it's there. It's it did right. it did, it did something. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, you could watch it on HBO Max if that didn't turn you off from it. I still enjoyed it. I can't say it's a good movie, but I can say it's an enjoyable one if you if you like the franchise. Uh, that's something, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I played quote unquote is uh, a game called Forgone. Okay. Yeah. So it was an impulse buy. I'm, I was browsing the PlayStation uh, website. The game came out, I think at the end of the last year and I saw a game that kind of looked like dead cells and I really liked dead cells. Dead cells is, you know, one of my favorite games from when the year it came out, what was it? 2019, 2018? I forget. I think it, it must've been 19. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really liked it. Probably even before that. On the screenshots, that's what it looked like. I watched a video. I'm like, yep, look, I like the combat, and I bought it. I started playing it, and it is not a Dead Cells. Um, yeah, I was just about to say it. I, don't, I was like, how are you going to get from here to there? But it's just, 
It's not. It's not. There's right. really not much about it that's at that size. I think an impossible. I should. I'm usually better at this. I research things. I look them up. Whatever. I really, really felt like playing a combat platformer. Uh, so I, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, I, so the game is exactly that. It's a. It's a platformer with a high uh, emphasis on combat, or at least that's what it claims to be. Uh, the One of the taglines that I think I saw was it's the dark souls of the genre. It's not a roguelike because you make progress and you can continue again, uh, but like you you have a progression tree and you get, it's, it's a looter type based uh, platformer and it's supposed to be getting harder and harder. I played it for like three, four hours. It didn't get very hard, honestly, at this point. Uh, and there were a lot of really questionable design decisions um, in, in the game. Uh, I, I'm not bringing the game necessarily to be like, hey, it's bad, so let's start with the good stuff, right? Uh, it's actually pretty. It's pretty to look at. Um, it's not my type of pixel art. In the screenshots, it looked great, and then when I saw it in movement, the movement is too fluid, and I couldn't mm-hmm. put my finger on it, and now I realize why. I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm almost convinced, that it's actually 3D models that somebody... Uh, like exported pixel art from uh, because you know there's there's certain art to doing pixel art where you skip a few frames to make the movement seem more like uh, impactful or powerful right. um, like each each screenshot looks like it's it's drawn like a painting this didn't feel like that it felt like I'm playing a 3d game with a filter on top of it mm-hmm. a, a really mm-hmm. really impressive pixel art filter Um but a filter nonetheless. I'm a, I'm a fan of pixel art. I actually love pixel art, the art, the craft of, of pixel art. So the screenshots looked much better. Uh, when I started in, in movement, it didn't, uh, that, that part didn't appeal to me. So if you're a fan of pixel art, you might like it less. But it's still, the end result is good. It's, it's, it's a, not a bad looking game. It's just not a pixel art, like traditional pixel art game. Uh, the backgrounds are better uh, for that. They look like they're hand painted. Um, the combat... If I could go to the combat, it's actually uh, weird. At parts, it actually feels really good. The jumping feels good. The attacking feels good. The dodging feels good. And other parts are like, why did you do it this way? So the w- ranged weapons, you don't have any say in the aim. You just whether you're, you're just shooting either left or right, and it kind of hones in at the closest enemy in that direction. So there's no skill other than pressing the button to the ranged uh, combat. Which is odd because if you're if you're claiming this is a Dark Souls of video games, then it's all supposed to be everything is about supposed to be about skill. Um, also, your weapon, your ammo from your we- ranged weapon recharges whenever you do a melee attack, so you're constantly going from melee to range, which is which was a fun dynamic. But I never felt like basically what ended up happening is I'd empty out my quiver and then rush in and you know fill it up again and then empty. It was such a predictable pattern throughout the game where I'm like, I never have a reason not to shoot until I run out of ammo. There's no, you know, I'm not conserving ammo. I'm not thinking deliberately. I'm just like, you get into this weird flow where you're like, the game gets, it's it's easy. It's not very difficult. The enemies don't have a, have a very predictable AI. Um, It's, yeah, like I don't know. It's it was kind of disappointing, to be honest. If, if you if if I just say like it's good but not special, would that? Yeah, be a- yeah, yeah. That's actually really a really good way of saying it. It's like right. it, I think it's uneven 
Um, I don't know who like I don't know about like the dev team that made it or anything like that, but I felt like uh, the skill level of different disciplines were very very uneven. Where some things were much much better better made than others, the UI needed to be overhauled. I w- it was so unintuitive. Even after three hours, I kept making mistakes, selling things I meant to uh, sorry or salvaging things I meant to upgrade and vice versa, which is so frustrating when you're like you know you have this thing. Oh cool, I'm gonna upgrade it, and then it's gone. And you're like, what? No, no, I pressed the wrong button again because it just, it's odd. The buttons, depending on what you press before, they change function. So uh, like you have to, it, I just never got, I didn't get used to it by the end of that. I had right. to like think deliberately and whenever I just went into automatic, I regretted it. So there are right. a lot of things like that that needed to be smoothed out. I'm really hoping that uh, this is the dev team's first or one of their first games because I see potential in that team. I think they can grow and do much better. Given, I think, I think they're in uh, in Ontario somewhere in Canada, and from what I remember, they were mostly known for like, um, uh, what was it called? The the it was this. Uh, it's more of a. I'm not sure if it's a children's game or not, but it was uh, something with with monsters that do singing. Okay. Uh, I think it was more of a children's studio, and this was sort of their their action game. Okay. Uh, so I think they have they have quite some they have quite some they have previous work, but I don't think it's in the genre. Okay, well that that adds up. That makes sense. Right. I don't think it'll take them long because there's a lot. There's definitely a lot of good in it. So I don't think it'll take them long to figure out what which parts of it need to be improved. And I'm sure their next games in this genre will be better if they continue right. in this in this direction. Uh, but that was it. That's it for my week. Um, what about you? Uh, who's next, Rami? No, I'll go. Mm-hmm. Okay, 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 okay. No, no. I'll go. go. I'll go first yeah. since we're talking. Okay, okay, okay. Hello, yeah. you go. Talking about the, the combat <laughs> games and stuff. Right. <laughs> Go for it. So, let's <laughs> So I played a game called Curse of the Dead Gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dramatic. Curse of the Dead. Was that yes? <laughs> it starts with curse. I gotta I gotta give it the respect. <laughs> the title. It's also an indie game. I think it's made by. Um, uh, by a small team in uh, Lyon, Pastec Games. Pastec, yeah. Pastec Games. Um, when you when you have a first look, I think this, the the biggest disservice this game gets is that at at a glance you might think you're looking at Hades, and I think um, oh. if if you look anywhere around the internet around this game, you're gonna see Hades being put in the same statement as this game. And it's because right. it's a roguelike, isometric view, slightly cartoonish, uh, with, with you know dark, uh, bold uh, outlines of the character, and um, a very slick and uh, good combat mm. with you know curses and dead people and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but um, but it's it plays very different than uh, Hades. It has a lot. It has a lot of like interesting structures to kind of introduce to it, um, and you know, like they're both good games. So like, uh, but it's one of those things in which like you know, being compared to Hades all the time kind of you know does it a disservice because it's hard not to think about Hades as you're looking at this game or you're like you're first viewing it and all of this stuff. Um, it uh, the, the the combat is tight, controls are tight, plays plays really well. 
it's what you'd expect. You got attack buttons. You got uh, the two-handed weapons. You got your uh, dual wielding weapons. Uh, attack, dodge, uh, hold, attack to do a big attack. Uh, mm-hmm. You got uh, uh, melee weapon, range weapon. You can chain both of these into a combo. And uh, you have parry, which is pretty cool. Um, I know uh, Osama likes this kind of stuff. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Fighting game staple. (laughs) Yeah, like the parry timing is uh, pretty tight on this one. Uh, Dodge, you know, you do like last minute dodge, uh, right timing parry, you get extra stuff. Um, So like, you know, the combat is uh, a lot of what you expect, but also like, you know, control is really tight and like, you know, feels good. It's fun to play. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff I like about the structure on this game, it ca- it kind of eases you into the systems. So like, you start off by is it also like, a roguelike like like Hades is. or is it? It is, it okay, is a totally roguelike. Okay, this is what I'm saying, telling you. Like, um, you can't you can't talk about this game without comparing it to Hades, especially because like you know it's such a good game. Both of these are good games, and like they came out uh, at uh, very close time periods, and they look very similar. It's unfortunate uh, for Curse of the Dead Gods that like it has so many things in common because of the comparison. Because 80s is a masterpiece. It's so um, good. But this game is really fantastic. good too. But this game yeah. is, is really, really good, man. Like uh, This game is a lot of fun too. So th- this is why I'm saying it's a disservice that it's get compared to Hades because mm-hmm. um, it, it's not more of the same, you know? Though it's the same genre yeah. and like, you know, very similar mm-hmm. kind of thing. So okay, how about this? So, like, we can't avoid the comparison. So, what what does Curse of the Dead Gods do that that Hades doesn't? That make it stand out? So, like, I like some of the the the, the systems that uh, Curse of the Dead Gods uh, have. So, for example, it like really eases you into the systems. You go like there's there's multi uh, levels in which you can pick to start the game from, and then mm. um, it generates a map of. Uh, the reward that you get at the end of every room. And it's a branching path that you can choose which way you want to go. Do I want to get an item that upgrades me or do I want to get the healing this time around? And um, uh, to proceed from one room to the other, you have to fulfill that room's objective, which is usually, you know, defeat all enemies. And there's booby traps and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As you go through the door to move on, to, uh, so you defeat all the enemies, the door unlocks, you open the door, you get, uh, uh, you get a bit of curse points. And like a, a, a curse bar fills up. And every time you go through one of these doors, you get more curse. And once the bar fills up, you get cursed. And the curse is like some kind of uh, random thing that now affects your run. So, for example, a curse could be from now on, you're going to need to parry every chest you open in order for you to actually open it. <laughs> So I can try to open a chest, okay. the chest can explode, you have to parry it, that's the one way you can open it from now on. And then now that becomes a permanent effect that affects the rest of your run. Very uh, cool. And if you get like up to five curses, <laughs> um, I haven't got to the fifth curse, but if you get to like the fifth curse, apparently it really impedes the way um, you play the game. But every time I died before that happens, so, so isn't that bad. <laughs> uh, or like either died or managed to finish the, the, the map. Okay. So you can okay. go. So like you know, it's kind of like if you want to go the longest, the longer route in which you collect more buffs, then you get more curses. So it's kind of like an interesting system to kind of balance that out. 
Yeah, that, um, sounds, that sounds fascinating, honestly. It's a really fun system because, like, you know, the, the discovering all the curses is kind of interesting. Discovering all the buffs is also interesting. Discovering all the weapons mm-hmm. and the combination of how the weapons and all of that stuff work together is also a lot of fun. It's kind of like there's enough experimentation in it that's kind of like, you know, like Hades. <laughs> um, you can, like, uh, <laughs> experiment with a lot of combinations and see what might happen. That's a lot of fun. Right. Um, the combat is tight, so like you know, getting good, uh, good at the game is fun in its own right. Right. And um, um, you know, like trying to min-max your way without getting you know curses, or like trying to find out which uh, currency you need to spend to get the best out of your run is also pretty good. So um, I think like you know the 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 way the game shows you progression uh, feels pretty neat. Sometimes like in roguelikes, it feels kind of punishing that you have to start everything from the beginning and um, use the buffs and like see how far that gets you. This game like almost tells you like there's these le- there's uh, it's a tiered level temple and uh, uh, right. you can finish a tier and then you can start from another tier and you have to finish the first tier to unlock the second tier. So it progressively allows you to grow through the game. Which is pretty neat. It looks gorgeous. I'm, I'm watching the videos and it looks really nice. It's very pretty, yeah. yeah for, for a small team of 12, man, it's very impressive. Um, it doesn't yeah. have like the narrative that Hades does. So like if you go like what the Hades do- has that this game doesn't have is that, you know, the music and the story and like, you know, super giant trademark uh, yes. finesse is not there. Um, right. But, you know, the two different companies make it two different games that I think are just within close proximity of each other, which I find also fascinating. Uh, yeah. It's like zeitgeist of creating games. Like, things just converge at the same time. It happens I more just, often. Hmm. I'm just really interested in the in the sort of, like, negative procedural generation. Like, that That sounds way more interesting from a... I, I, we prototyped with that a little bit before Vlambe shut down in a project. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, roguelikes are usually used to strengthen your character, right? Yeah. Like the the sort of like procedural randomness is like, how do how does, what build do I build? Um, and um, the randomness in terms of negative feedback or, or not positive feedback usually comes from level generation or from mechanical exploration. And yeah. Kind of flipping that around a little sounds really fun. And that's like the interesting part. It, like it, all the curses I've seen so far is not curses to your character per se, but it's more like an added effect to either the dungeon or the props or enemies that you face. Right. So it's still right. like um, within the level, not necessarily a debuff on your own character. Um, but it's still like, you know, hinders your way. That said, you right. know, I, I'm yet to unlock a lot of curses to see like uh, the depth of the system. Right. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of randomness there. Nice. Sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'll fun give it a game. go. I'll, I'll one of those games that's yeah, fun, no, like, I'm... fun to get good at. You know what I mean? Like, uh, the, I'm convinced. There's like, you know, the timing, like the parry is so difficult to time it correctly. You need to study like, you know, the movement of the enemy and the timing of your parry because it's not instant parry yeah. like you're used to in Street Fighter. There's a bit of like a, oh. an animation buildup into the parry moment. Uh, oh, it's brief. Okay. It's very brief and fast, but it's, you know, it's not as instant it. as you would in like a Street Fighter game. Yeah, um, like okay. a, a one frame parry. Okay, like maybe, maybe, maybe I'm less convinced. <laughs> <laughs> Give it I a 
To, I, I will say I'm not very good at parry mechanics in general. It's you just can not, play the not game entirely without. my thing. I, th- I think uh, parry, yeah. like they, they identify that parrying is difficult, so they don't expect you to be good at it. Like it's not Sekiro. Okay. Um, it's kind Fine. of like, but if you All can't right. pull it off, we'll reward you with stuff. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not saying oh. I'm particularly good with parry mechanics. Like Sekiro is really, really a hard game. I loved it in Ghost of Tsushima, for example. I love it in, in Street Fighter Third Strike. I loved it in well, the, the equivalent in Guru. Uh, I love the parry mechanic, but when it becomes the only way to get past something, it becomes tiresome. It takes so like it, it's 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 heavy load for somebody to to have to have that kind of reflexes. All it's the a time. big punish so if you really live, you know. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's true, and it should be because the risk reward, right? So, all right. So, cur- curse of the dead gods. Mm-hmm. Curse of the dead gods. Uh, it's out on everything, really. Go. I'm playing it on Switch, but it's on uh, Steam, on PS4, awesome. and Xbox. Yeah, good game. Great. I'll grab it on Switch. Yeah. So, my turn? Love me. Can I? Am I, yes. am I good, Fuzzy? You can okay. go. You, can go. You, sh- you sure? You yeah. sure? <laughs> you have another list of 15 games for us? <laughs> We're at the game plan. Um, yeah, <laughs> 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 so I'm sorry. Done, no, you caught me and brought me up in this mess. <laughs> I, it's all my fault. <laughs> all right. So, um, the last week I told you I'd start a Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Yes. Uh-huh. Right? You finished, and I finished the campaign? It. I finished it as fast as I thought I would. Um, it is actually so. My favorite Call of Duty, just for background, is Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought it was interesting because it was not a linear campaign per se. It had a bit of open, not open worldness, but you could kind of like figure out some optional objectives, do some missions that you didn't need to do, and like kind of feel like you're in charge of how this thing goes down. Call of Duty, I'm gonna just going to call it Cold War for now. Call of Duty Cold War um, brings that back a little bit. So there is the main story progression. Between that are these narrative hub moments where you're in this hub space with the other main characters, and you can talk to them, you can listen to them, interact with each other, you can kind of like mess around. And in traditional Black Ops um, tradition, um, something is off about everything, right? It's not quite... It's not explicit, but you always feel that there's something under the surface. Like something is is just not right. And um, as you continue, there are these optional objectives that you can complete that give you access to optional missions that you can complete. And you're, you're kind of trying to build a case to chase somebody down, right? It is a Black Ops game, which means that you can pretty much in the campaign assume that at some point it goes really psychedelic. This one does as well. And I think that if I had to describe Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War in a quick sentence, it is the Cold War part of this game is extremely tiring. It's The narrative is not interesting. It's still shooting lots of people that were just living in their own country. Um, it's spectacular, sure, but like it, it didn't do much for me. Mm-hmm. The Black Ops parts of this game, which is the narrative, the sort of like talking to your crew, the um, optional missions, the uh, the psychedelic stuff, that is phenomenally executed. Mm. Uh, I had a great time, and especially as the game sort of like went off the rails. Um, it was just really, really fun. Like some good set pieces, uh, clever use of mechanics, like... 
honestly one of the more clever Call of Duty games. And narratively, it actually sort of like wraps up the Cold War stuff pretty well as well. Like there's not really a hoo-ha USA thing going on here. Like it's more of a like maybe just war is bad uh, thing, which is a surprising message for a Call of Duty game. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was not I was not unimpressed. I, I had a good time. Um, I then immediately uninstalled it because it was like 200 gigs on my PlayStation. <laughs> it's massive. Uh, so, it's so big. that was gone. Um, and then I downloaded, uh, I had a few, I had a little bit of time to, to um, uh, kill until the next game I played. So I did my usual and I looked around a bit. Um, I, played some, I played some Flight Simulator. Uh, I had a good time with that. And then I played um, a game called Orbital Bullet. Orbital, um, Orbital Bullet. Orbital Bullet. I came across Orbital Bullet at a PAX. Uh, I don't remember which PAX. It's basically just a very, it's a very traditional like shoot things roguelike. Okay. Side scroller. You just shoot things. But the interesting one of the interesting things is it takes place on a cylinder. Mm. So the level is wrapped around a cylinder. I'm and, getting a lot of Resogun uh, vibes. So yes, if you think Resogun, but instead of Defender, it's an, a little, uh, it's Contra. Uh-huh. Right. So Resogun, if instead of Defender, the base was Contra, then you've got Orbital Bullet. So okay. do, okay. I mean, I like the, the concept. Does the cylinder part, is it only aesthetically different or does it actually have any, like, does it change the gameplay in any way? Like, I, I'm so, looking at a video and I see that some guns wrap around in an interesting right. way. Okay. Right. Any- so, they're, so they're using it in multiple ways. Like, obviously, it's interesting in that you can see further because you can, like, the bullets just follow the curvature. Yes. So you have a pretty complete overview of the level uh, at most times. Uh, the other thing that I think is interesting is there's multiple layers to the cylinder hmm. so you can hop forward or backward into the the z axis into the depth and fight things on different layers some boss fights use that some uh platforms use that they're, they're just doing a lot of like fun clever stuff that's cool um the economy is pretty good i think the progression can use some tweaking but i'm i, I think it's still an early it's in early access now um so I, I guess they'll be updating i had a great time with it uh it was fun um games to watch this week for me um in flight simulator fat sim which is the simulated air traffic control network did a, a cross the pond event where people over almost 2000 people flew trans oceanic flights from europe to the us wow uh, and the fun thing about that is that uh real people are doing air traffic control for the airports around, along the way there oh that's cool so it's real people talking to re- real people. VATSIM is a 24-7 thing. It's always there. You can always use it. But these events are quite spectacular. Uh, 1,900 airplanes did, did a flight across the ocean. Uh, wow. That was um, on April 25th. Um, I came across a game that was announced a while ago, but... Um, didn't come up for a while again. And I'm not quite sure why i why it didn't um why it didn't come up for a while um mahdi bahrami who we've talked about before on the uh, on the podcast mm-hmm. has uh his new game coming up oh cool oh uh tandis 
which is a game about mathematical transformations. If you've played Mahdi's work uh, and got a or Farsh, you know that he is particularly good at sort of like mind bending mechanics that teach you something about geometry or math. Like, even though you don't have to understand those things, finishing these games will make you better hmm. at these things. And uh, Tandis looks mind-blowing in that regard. Like, it's the thing where you watch the mechanics, and you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, you know, the he does something, and you're like, wait, what? Huh? Uh, no, 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 back, back, what? Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, that's kind of how you, you watch it. Um, it looks phenomenal, uh, and I'm. it's available for Wishlist uh, on Steam. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the uh, release date is. It's set as coming soon, but it's it'll be an instant buy for me. It's just mind blowing. Yeah, it looks um, really intriguing. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's gonna be. I mean, again, like I'm. I think Mahdi is one of the most exciting designers working in our space, especially when it comes to puzzle work. And this is, yeah, great. And then um, I uh, found my new game uh, that was uh, uh, Near Replicant, which is a remake of the original Near. which uh, a lot of complications there. There were two versions of that game, but this is a, a remaster, remake, redo, whatever it is, of, um, of Near Replicant, well, uh, which is the... The PS3 game. Right, the PS3 game. Uh-huh. It's a prequel for the most people that will probably come into the series at Near Automata. It's a prequel to Near Automata. Um, you don't need to know anything about Near Automata because Automata takes place like over fifteen thousand years later, I think. Oh wow! <laughs> um, Near is a sequel in spirit to Dragon Guard Three. Mm-hmm. Which yep. you also need to know nothing about because they're only related for like a second in an optional ending uh, from Drakengar Three. <laughs> um, but the basic the basic idea of Near is that in some sort of post apocalyptic world, there is a community in which a boy lives with his sister Yona, and his sister has a disease that will certainly prove fatal to her and the um the boy finds a book and this book has the power potentially to save not just the world but also fix that disease on a on a global scale and um sadly the book has been smashed in the head with a sword a few times and has sort of like forgotten what it's capable of so the story is sort of like an ex, like it starts there and then it gets out of hand and you know giant things happen. But the um, the base story of the game is is pretty comfortable, hmm. right? Like boy wants to save somebody dear and finds magical thing to make things happen. Uh, it starts relatively slow, and you can tell that this is old game design. Right, you can tell that this is like two thousand and what is it, two thousand and ten ish game design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, it has definitely gotten a real good touch up. Like I played the PS3 version back in the days, and I bounced off of it. I will admit, I just bounced off of the game. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was just not having the literacy to understand the game. But I, 
I thought it was slow and the combat didn't feel particularly good, so I just kind of bounced off of it. This one has none of that. It it's still slow, but it's there's a lot of like small quality of life improvements that make the game a little easier to to work with. I think the movement and the combat feel much more satisfying. Um and it is near, so it is beautifully scored. Like the audio, the music is just preposterously good. Uh, I'm really happy to spend some more time in that universe. Um, and I'm really happy to get to like fully complete the first near now that I've played Automata and fallen in love with that game. So I'm having a really good time with that one. Is it a big game, the near replicant? It's... So I, like I said, I've never, I've never finished it. Right, I bounced mm. off of the original the first time. Just like Near Automata, it's, it's not long per se, but there is, you, you still have that thing where if you just finish the game once, you're not going to get the full game out of it. Mm. I see. So, it'll probably still be like dozens of hours or maybe even more. I can't tell. I, I have a feeling the story is about to ramp up, and I'm at like twelve. 12 to 14 hours. I'm also a bit of a completionist, so I'm doing every side quest I've, I find. Um, so we'll see. I really like I really like the the book, The Grimoire. Um, I hate a lot of the side quests, but mm-hmm. it's like go find five mouse and five five mouse tails and five lizard tails. I'm like, okay. And it's like, where do I find those? And it's like, in the world. <laughs> oh no! And I'm like, what? What? And then. Eventually, I looked it up, and it turns out that in two of the zones, uh, one of the zones I've been to and one of the zones I'd never been to because I hadn't even realized you can reach it, uh, there are tiny lizards and mouse that run around the level that spawn, and if they get away, you will never find them again. So you have to leave the area again and go back in to make them respawn. Mm. And even if you manage to collect all of them, there's not enough in the area to get enough items for that quest. So you have to leave and get them to respawn again. I'm just sitting there just being like, I don't feel this is extremely respectful of my time. Right? I'm just Mm -hmm. just not enjoying that. But the overall experience of the game so far has been really good. Like the, the, in in pretty typical Yokotaro style, it, it builds slowly and you get this you get this sinking feeling that maybe things will not be all right, um, which is exciting. And then um, um, let's see. Oh, I saw a tweet today. Um, well, today, by now, by the time everybody listens to this, it'll be a week ago. Um, <laughs> the um, the team at Toge Productions over in Indonesia is um, did premiere a new video at uh, Ludonericon, which was last week for their um, for their new their new upcoming game of Space for the Unbound. Hmm. And what I love about it, um, what I really love about it, honestly, is that it is, from what I understand, an authentic Indonesian experience set in the 90s. And Toge is a, a studio that I've been watching with uh, a lot of a lot of interest because over over the past years, as they build up this, their strength as a studio and they build up their network and they build up their capacity, um, they've made a lot of games that aren't Indonesian, right? Um, not because they avoided it or anything, but because what they were making was meant to fit in the global market. 
Of right. Mm-hmm. And um, one of those is uh, Coffee Talk, which I think a lot of people might have played, which is a game about, what was the pitch again? Making coffee and having heart-to-heart talks. Mm-hmm. Huh? Uh, like phenomenal, it. lovely little game. They set it in Seattle. And I always thought, like, why is this set in Seattle? And it's because that it stops them from having to explain a lot of things about the world, right? They don't have to explain Indonesia. They don't have to explain. Um, they don't have to explain what the prices of coffee are. They don't have, like. They can just go like a coffee is three dollars. Done. Close. Right. Like, let's get to the heart to heart part. Yeah. And they they sneak in their culture, right? They sneak in their culture and their background, and it's there. Um, and they introduce a number of things through sort of like this Trojan horse method of, of uh, talking about Indonesia in this fictional version of, of Seattle. And I think they're at the point where they feel strong enough as a studio to just go, no, this game is authentic Indonesian. It's an Indonesia. It's our childhood. It's our culture. It's our history. And we're going to put this in a game. And to me, that is exciting. Yeah, mm-hmm. incredibly exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never been to I, Indonesia, actually. I don't know much, uh, you know, like, I uh, don't know much about it. It'll be interesting for me to play a game to get to know more about the culture and their perspective and things. My father is in Indonesia now. He's actually there now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. It's a fascinating country. I was there a few times when, uh, when their uh, development community was relatively young and I got invited over to like, see if I can help out or give a talk or something like that. They, uh, they taught me some ways of like getting, because at the time, a lot of the people I was hanging out with were students. So they taught me how to like have food cheap. Yeah. <laughs> they have this thing where you get, you get like a big bowl of rice in certain restaurants. I forgot what it was called. A big bowl of rice. And then you get these little bowls with um, meats and sauces and vegetables and stuff like that. And the, the basic way it works is the rice is effectively free, but you pay for the meats and the vegetables. But you don't necessarily pay for the sauces. So they, they kind of taught me to like pour the, the sauce, which was flavored with the meat and with the vegetables over the rice. So I wouldn't get charged for using the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is brilliant. This is really good. Uh, it was really fun. Also, like obviously, like part of me intellectually knows this, but it's really weird to to like as an Arab Muslim. It was really interesting to be in a country that has so many Muslims, but that isn't Arab. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and that ne- doesn't necessarily speak Arabic. Like yeah. there's there's there is language. Like there's Arabic. Like it sort of happens through the Quran because a lot of people still learn Quran and they learn to recite it and they learn how to pronounce it properly, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily like they learn what it means, but they don't necessarily learn Arabic. Yeah. Right. Uh, I thought that was fascinating. I think it was it's really, like the, it was really, it's like the country with the most uh, Muslims, right? It's like the, the, the largest yes, Muslim country. I think so, yeah. <laughs> the well, largest Muslim country on earth. Exactly. It has the biggest Muslim population. Um, the second largest being India, which has the second largest Muslim population, but isn't a Muslim country. Huh, yeah, India is huge. Yeah. But like, I feel... <laughs> I feel for like, you know, um, with people from outside of the Arab countries when they want to learn Arabic, especially like, you know, if they're learning Arabic through the Quran, um, they'll be learning traditional Arabic, you know, like the, the, the Fusha, 
and then they yes, go and right. visit the Arab world, and then, um, basically, how that like nobody speaks it. <laughs> I have a lot of friends in Europe, like you know, like you know, they get like you know, a formal education in Arabic. They they get to learn Fusha and then they go to like uh, Lebanon or Jordan and then like they just don't understand anything that's being said on the streets because everybody speaks <laughs> in dialect. Yes, right. Yeah, that, that's kind of true of many different languages. But yeah, definitely uh, Arabic. The only time you really hear Fusha or classical Arabic is well, you know, in, in religious texts, of course, or historic texts, right. uh, the news. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of TV shows used to be in that, especially children's TV shows. Cartoons? But like a lot of TV All the cartoons shows, are dubbed cartoons, in Yes. I was actually uh, shocked when I found out that the Arabic cartoons uh, were originated from Japan, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> in, in general, I just find the whole thing fascinating because... The Arabic isn't a, a language. It's it's well, I mean, it is a language. It's a language group, right? It's there's a lot of dialects that so so severely affect what is understood with words, with accents, with um, uh, how letters are uh, written, um, and how letters. Uh, sorry, not how they're written, but how they're pronounced, like individual letters, even right that. It's really hard to say that it is a language. I'm not sure what the official status is of Arabic, but uh, even even um, even classical Arabic and and and, uh, and modern standard Arabic, even the distinction between those is vague. And then you've got all the different dialects from mm-hmm. like uh, all the way over to Morocco, right? The sort of like Moroccan dialect all the way through the the Middle East up to uh, Iraq. And yeah. then all the and then in the countries you have your dialects that are between rural and urban, uh, and even those are sometimes like I think most Arabs speak modern standard Arabic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or understand modern standard Arabic. I think everybody because, understands Fusha. Yeah, right. Then the um, then the interesting thing becomes that then everybody on top of that knows at least one extra dialect or two extra dialects. Oh, at least because. Right, because then you've got for a lot of people you've got Egyptian, yes, mm-hmm. which is sort of like the language of television series and movies and, and lots of music as well, right? Yes. And then whatever their local dialect is as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel right. like Egyptian or and Lebanese are like the the two dialects that everybody gets no. just because it's like pop culture and music and uh, movies and TV series. Kind of a lot of entertainment come from either Egypt or Lebanon, so people kind of get yeah. these accents plus their local accent or dialect. Plus whatever region they're from, plus Fusha. Yeah. I was I was shocked because I was obviously I was raised on Egyptian, right? Mm-hmm. And our the mosque in the Netherlands that I used to go to was Moroccan, so I just couldn't understand a, a <laughs> word because the Moroccan dialect is very different from the Egyptian dialect. Mm-hmm. So I I just kind of assumed that it was a different language, and then when we got to the Quran, I would understand it again because that was the Quranic. Arabic, right? The classical Arabic that I'd been taught. Um, but I, I, I didn't realize that Moroccan was just like very... I, I recognized some words and I'm like, this must be a similar language. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until much later that I like realized that, no, this is just a very heavy dialect. Yeah, but they actually, uh, because of their cl- uh, close proximity to uh, the, the Barbar people, they actually have a lot of borrowed words. Right. Uh, so some of the words that they throw in 
are not Arabic. Uh, they became Moroccan, and that's, that's right. totally okay. Uh, but also, some of the other words is just their pronunciation is different. Like I remember right. in Moroccan, they say wahed, uh, and then they say juj, like oftentimes instead of thenen. And I'm like juj, like is that that's probably barber? And, and then I, it was explained to me that no, actually, it comes from the Arabic word jaws, which is a pair. So uh-huh. one, and then a pair, and then three, and then four, instead of just saying one, two, three, four. Um, and a lot of dialects is like that. They borrow, like they take a word, and just the pronunciation is a little bit different and becomes right. unrecognizable and, if you're not used to it. We've that. been colonized by different forces, so words from those colonizers sneak into our languages. But Fauzi, do me a favor. Say two for me in Arabic. Itnin. Yeah, itnin. Okay, I also have itnin. Mm-hmm. We say thnan. Uh, thnan. We, we skip yeah. the uh. We just say thnan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like uh, uh, um, Alan yeah. for us, like a uh, pen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, you would pronounce that differently, the two of you, right? Kalam. Kalam. Yeah. Alam yeah. <laughs> for me. Yeah. You have Alam as well? Yeah. There's a Jordanian dialect that's a little bit harsher, so it goes Gelem with a G. Okay. Gelem with a. Yeah, Gelem. That's ah. close to Khadiji. That's close to like the. the like yeah, Kuwait and, and Jordanian dialect can like have a harsh ga instead of the qa or a. There's like um, there's also like the rural Palestinian can say qalam with a qa. Yes, okay. yeah, we yeah. say qalam. That's how we say it. How how do you say um, um, this is one that I found that is some some somewhat different. How do you say many like kathir for us? Okay, kathir. this is weird, but we say we say huaya. We also huaya, say that's in kath- Iraqi. Yeah. Yeah, Iraqi, Huaya. It's a lot. <laughs> I don't know what the root is of that. Don't ask. <laughs> I I just love that there are so many words that you could sit. We could sit around the table and talk and probably have trouble understanding each other sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I think it's like one of the. Remember ones, the first yeah. episode that it came up. It came up when you said Fagr for uh, for the the prayer, right. and we were like, oh, we say Fajr. It's because of the ga and the j yeah. Uh, yeah. sounds. For Iraq is actually really close to Persia. Uh, like Iran. So we actually have a lot of the, the letters that we borrow from them. And it's interesting because one of the, the letters that they have that Arabic doesn't have is the ch sound. And uh, we will take it and replace the kaf with the ch, but not universally. Some words right. will still say the kaf. In other words, it'll be the ch. Like for example, uh, like for, for a dog, kelb, uh, some Iraqis will, will say chelb. And uh, but other words with the ka, like maktaba, nobody will say machtaba. Nobody will say that. So it's really interesting in the application uh, of of these borrowed sounds as well. Like I remembered, uh, I remember I spoke about the pa sound that we don't have pa, but we have some words that we we, we still retain the pa because I'm guessing they're borrowed words from uh, Iran, from Persia. Nobody else will. Might be right. Yeah. I I just love that. It, the moment I realized it was when um, um, I had to stop somewhere, and, and uh, on a stop sign, it it was spelled in traditional Arabic, kaf fi, yeah. just stop, right? Yeah. And then I, yeah, but that's not how we pronounce it in Arabic because we don't pronounce the k sound. We just use sort of a, a, a glottal stop, yeah. right? And I was asking my dad, it's like, Dad, why is it spelled wrong? <laughs> and my dad was just like that's not wrong we write in a different language than we speak and i'm like wait what 
Yeah. Excuse me, back back off. How, like, how did that happen? <laughs> um, but it's fascinating because, like, even the word even the word Ramadan is like one of those words that's pronounced differently. In that the D sound in that is a Z sound in certain dialects, in certain rural dialects. Uh, also in the Persian, in uh, in uh, Persian, it's Ramazan, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because Arabic kind of, is the only language that has the uh, dad. Yeah, the right. dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why that's, uh, it's nicknamed uh, the, the the tongue of dad because it's the only language that can uh, <laughs> that can use it, which uh, which sounds for a lot of people like a weird D, <laughs> yeah, but, right. it's, uh, but it's like a more accented dad. Yeah. Right. But there's also a difference between Bod and Vod, right? Yeah, except, right. except in Iraq. They, they sound the same in Iraq. We, we <laughs> yes. don't say Ramadan, we say Ramadan, and that's it. It's always also, the same. Yeah, some nice. dialects has that in Jordan as well. So, like, instead of Dufda'a uh, frog, it's Dufda'a. It's fascinating, like, with, it's, the, with the different dialects. When I go and visit Morocco, for example, I find myself, like, you know, right. talking in Fusha with most people because they can't understand yeah, my right. accent as I can understand theirs. And it's funny because it's kind of like, you know, two people, instead of speaking English to each other, they're speaking Shakespearean English. It's kind of like, imagine if, like, someone right. from Ireland goes to Scotland and then they start <laughs> speaking Shakespearean English because that's, like, the common language. It's it's kind right. of that. If I'm, like, you know, I'm talking to a Moroccan guy in Fusha, it's that it's like kind Thor. of feeling. Like, we both feel ridiculous. <laughs> right. But it's, like, the only, right. way us, the only way for us to understand each other is to, to use that. Well, how do you how do you say, somebody taught me this one, like, how do you say, in, say uh, wait? Stan. Yeah, we say intadar. Yeah, so we're close. Um, I think intadar um, would be more uh, um, like Gulf. Right. Yeah. Like more like the Gulf uh, side would be more intadar. Uh, we would be like Stan now. My favorite thing is if somebody Word. speaks none of these dialects, they're just listening to us going like, what are these guys talking about? What are these words? Exactly. We're just saying random stuff. <laughs> I kind of, I, I have to admit, I kind of love that 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 Arabic has so many. You can you yeah. can pretty strongly place somebody by their Arabic um, from the words they use, even mm-hmm. uh, not just the dialect or how they pronounce things, but the words they use. But then, as a language, Arabic is also weird, and that there's just stuff in Arabic that doesn't make sense linguistically. Like I I, I studied for a while. I studied uh, uh, phonemes, pronunciation, right? Mm-hmm. Like how. Uh, certain letters are are pronounced, and uh, they call it phonology. And one of the fascinating things is Darin as a character. Yeah. It's just kind of like, they just kind of gave up on that one. But they're like, yeah, they're, yeah, it's it's a it's a sound. I think it was a voiced. I forgot which, it's a fricative, but I forgot which one it is. But they basically they couldn't quite figure out what it was, and they ended up with like a. Creaky voiced epiglottal wow. approximant, which is like it's not quite. It's like creaky voiced, and it's epiglottal because it comes from like the back of your basically your, the 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 space in your mouth, like just at the top of yeah. your throat. <laughs> and approximant because it's not quite that. It's not. They couldn't quite figure out what it was for people to practice. People just people just like there's a discussion about what sound Darin actually is. They haven't figured that part out yet. Um, <laughs> has so same many thing. Difficult sounds to pronounce. Um, yeah. <laughs> same thing with the ha, yeah. right? The yeah. ha. ha. Same exactly. thing. I love teaching those two to people because they yeah. are really the ha people can approach. Because it's effectively it's just breathing out. Yeah, but we already mm-hmm. have a ha. Huh. That's the the problem. Yeah, we have a ha huh and a ha. Huh. 
Yeah, the ha right. and the ha. And for people who don't know how to say the ha, they go to the ha, but we have that already, so it's a bit confusing. <laughs> right. And then the other thing that's interesting about it is that the ha is without any like turbulence in the sound. It's just air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the H, as we use it in, in English or a lot of Western languages, is not quite that. So mm-hmm. a lot of people add like vibration to the sound. They get like a kh. Yeah. Well, we like, have that already <laughs> as well. Yeah, <laughs> we have that too. So kind of like Mo, Mo, Muhammad, yeah. and it's like, where did the yeah. come from? Why is it not yeah. Muhammad? Yeah. It's like Muhammad. No, 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 drop the yeah. sound. And it's just, <laughs> My brother's name is uh, is Ahmed. Right. The number Ahmed. of people, yes, exactly. The number of people yeah. who either say Ahmed, they skip it, or Ahmed, they go the other extreme. <laughs> but, or or they make it a K. Yeah, Ahmed. Yep. You get that too. Right. <laughs> uh, I found that also when I tried to teach people uh, the letter cough, which has like a little click right. in the throat, right? Um, a, lot yeah. of, uh, right. a lot of people can't do that because it's not part of like their regular language called uh, cough or like when you say the word for minute, daqiqa. It just sounds daqiqa. funny yeah. if, you're, if you're not used <laughs> to saying it. Do, do you actually pronounce it daqiqa in, in Jordanian? No, no. Daya or daqiqa. Oh, dia. Uh, oh, my favorite troll about the Arabic language is still uh, uh, Muhammad Ali. Right, Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if anybody was to change their name into an Arabic name, picking a name that has both the ha <laughs> and the ain, <laughs> and the I'm like, this is beautiful. I'm not sure this was intentional trolling. That's right. Uh, you can figure out whether somebody speaks Arabic pretty quickly from that one. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. We have different ways of saying hello and goodbye. Right. Yes. As well, or how are you at least? Because salamu alaikum is pretty like standardized, yeah. right? How are you can change a little bit. Is there different greetings, or do we just all use the same one? So well? we have one that I particularly like. We say shlonak, which actually means literally means what's your color, but it really means what's your mood. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Shu, yeah. shulonak, all right? What is your color? I love right. it. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> shlonak, I yeah, we just we just. Yeah, shlonak aini. Yeah, that's a aini yeah, means my eye, which is a, right. a word of endearment. Exactly. <laughs> we we just mostly have a zayek. 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 Yeah. Kifak. Yeah, that's in, our standard. Uh, kifak in yeah. uh, Jordanian. Yeah. Oh, we also have a more yeah kifhalak. Yeah. We also have a more yeah, um, slangy shakumaku, uh, which actually uh, means shaku what maku. is. Yeah, shaku maku, which is like uh, shaku means what is, and maku means what isn't. So what is and what isn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's, that's a like good what one. it is, fam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really saggy. <laughs> and for and for cl- closing conversations, I I guess we all used kind of the same thing as well. It's mostly salam. Salam. Right. right. Well, that I think was... it's time for salam. I saw that coming. Is. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I literally clapped. (laughs) That was the Habibis podcast for this week. I am Fawzi Masmar, your host for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at Fawzi Masmar. 
My fellow Habibis were Osama Dorias, who you can find on Twitter at Osama Dorias. And Rami Ismail, who you can find on Twitter at T-H-A underscore Rami. Send us your questions, stories, and suggestions via info at thehabibis.com. Intro and outro music was provided by Malik Zubayla. And the logo was provided by Ibrahim Hamdi. The Habibis is a weekly podcast about three game developers drinking good Arab tea with new episodes launching every Friday, inshallah. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to your favorite podcasting service or check out thehabibis.com for more information. Thank you for listening. Salam.